Well, guys, we're live, and it is Thursday, September 20th, 2018, and this is Rafael Garcia along with Schwan Humes back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. How are you doing there, partner? Schwan, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yep, sure. Turn your video off for me, and um, how are you doing there, sir? Okay. You there? Just a second. All right. Hello? Yep, turn your video off for me, man. It's not a video. All right, cool. Um, so, yeah. How are you doing today, sir? Not bad. Busy as always, man. I always got something. You got to coach a tournament this weekend. Oh, oh man. So I, I'm not even going to um, hold you up then because I know I'm sure you got a lot of prep to do about that. But... Man, there's a little bit to talk about today, man. Um, dog, I can't even – I don't even know where to start. I was thinking about this on the way home today. We got John Jones being reinstated, the USC 229 press conference from today. We got Ioana versus Valentina. Man, we got a lot to talk about today, my dude. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of big news. Um, I, was, I, I wasn't shocked about the John Jones thing. I was a little disgusted by the Valentina-Joanna thing and uh, – Having Connor back is just it. It just adds a lot of excitement for the people who cover the sport, people in the sport, and people who promote the sport. Like he's just money. It's like printing money at this point. So let's start with uh, let's start with the John Jones thing. Um, so if you are unaware, you know if you're a fan of mixed martial arts and you live under a rock somewhere, John Jones was reinstated. Well, he was basically basically reinstated uh, last night. He is eligible to fight as of once October 28th comes and goes. His sentence was reduced by USADA to a 15-month ban, and now he's eligible to fight up to this year. Now, UFC President Dana White is saying that they expect to bring him back early 2019. Um, as we always say, you know, don't believe anything that comes out of Dana's mouth. That's neither here nor there. Um, man, there's so much to really unpack from here because it's been so long since he's been uh, since he first failed the original test that caused the flag for um, Trinidad, and apparently, according to the statement by the arbitrator um, from USADA, that the reason why Jones's sentence was reduced by nearly sixty percent is because he basically snitched on. Snitched on people that he knows is also um, using performance-enhancing drugs. So there's so much to talk about just from that statement there alone. Sean, where do you want to jump in? Um, I probably want to start off on that point. A lot of people uh, were kind of shocked when they when this came out. You know, saying that essentially he was giving people up to get out of his uh to get out of his suspension. And I don't even understand why people were shocked by this. Like they act like it's a new low for John Jones to step to. But if you look at his old interviews, he routinely said he used to snitch on people in college, people who were cheating on tests, people who were smoking weed. That's like his nature. His nature is to put other people out there to make himself look good and and kind of shine the light on these people so whatever I'm doing in the dark doesn't get put, put into the spotlight. And this is just another case of it. Um, I can't say I'm surprised by this because, I mean, this is how it works in the real world outside of sports. If you get busted for something, and let's say me and you have a criminal in enterprise and you get busted they're going to offer you time off or give you a sweet deal if you're willing to turn me and other people in that's just common sense i can't even hate jones for doing it because a he has a family to support b he's still in his prime and he wants to continue his career and c um mixed martial arts is the most selfish sport in in sports in gen in general so i mean this is nothing worse than a fighter who's making millions of dollars while somebody else in his camp who fights in the same organization is making eight thousand a show and eight thousand to win I, I'm I'm a little disappointed. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in everything as a whole, but I can't say I'm shocked at all. It's just par for the course with mixed martial arts, unfortunately. I actually had a – I saw a random comment on uh, Twitter this afternoon earlier. I don't remember who posted it. I'm trying to look real quick right now. I'm not sure who said it. I think it was Justin got um, – Justin – uh, Galatly, who brought up the idea that 
how if Sada found that John Jones um, basically accidentally used uh, the PED that he was caught using, even though none of the sub supplements that he used that he provided to them failed, you know, the test to see if they were tainted or not, even though none of those um, products failed those tests, the USADA found that Jones, or they found basically that he accidentally used the uh, performance enhancing drug. My, the question that I saw today was if Jones accidentally used it, how is he enough of a source to begin telling on other people as if they are using it on purpose? That right there, it made me laugh. At the same time, it was like one of those aha moments. How is he enough of an expert to know when other people are using it, but he himself is using it accidentally? What kind of sense does that make? In one instance, it doesn't make any sense because if you're doing it by accident and it's not your lifestyle, then yeah, it doesn't make any sense how you, how you would know if people were connected, where they're getting it from, and who's using it. But then again, if you go by if you look in, in past interviews by multiple mixed martial arts fighters, they routinely say what 65, 75% of people are on, are on performance enhancing drugs. Some guys even hint that people in their camps are on performance enhancing drugs. They just don't want to out them. So given the nature of mixed martial arts and, and what people have said over the years, it's even if you're using it by accident, you would probably be aware of who in your, who in your camp or who in the coaching staff is providing people with these sort of with these sort of um, with the with the PDs, and if they can get access to them, maybe they can lean on them a little bit, and then get access to the other people higher up. That that's the logical theory. It doesn't really make sense when you say it out loud. It sounds stupid, but just based on the fact that so many fighters have said this many people use it, there's people in my camp, or I don't want to say people's names because I know people, people I'm cool with. It makes me think that even if you're not really involved in it you're a witness to it. Like you've been around it. You've seen things that have happened. You just aren't directly involved in it. I don't believe that Jones wasn't directly involved in it, but if somebody's saying that needs to make sense to you, just look at any multitude of interv interviews when they started, when they started having tests for PEDs, guys were routinely saying, there's this many, this people, I can tell you people right now. I just don't want to put them out there. What I find so interesting about that is the idea that I'm not going to talk about what I've seen personally in the sport, but the idea that I wonder who else would be willing to use this out to get less time. I mean, I don't know. Have we seen it before? Have we seen it been used before? I can't think of any other time. No, I, I think everybody who's gotten busted has pretty much just, you know, got their suspension, especially the guys who were lower on the totem pole than Jones. They just got their suspension. I don't even know if this was made an option to them because I can't imagine somebody wouldn't have taken this option before especially if you're not making very much money. You can't afford to be out for a year or six months or 15 months or whatever it is. You can't afford that, that downtime. So I'm surprised if I, I, I can't imagine anybody else has been made this offer because somebody else would have taken it by now. MMA is doggy dog, man. They're not taking any bullets for no one. Yeah, they're definitely, that's, that's definitely the uh, truth there. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot to so much to unpack just in this story right here alone. If he comes back, I mean, you know, UFC 230 still doesn't have a main event. That That is uh, planned for later on this year. Then UFC still has a big year in card. Do you think we see him fight in 2018 or 2019? Me, personally, I think they bring him back for 2018. I would say it's probably probably likely they put him in 2018. It really, it really depends on how serious he's been about his training, um, what kind of focus he's been in. Has he been training? like kind of ramping up his training and, and keeping the intensity level because regardless of whether what money he needs or what the UFC wants, the fact of the matter is anything can be turned around in the blink of an eye with one punch, one takedown, one submission. And given the fact that now you, there's a kind of a shadow over his previous wins, he really can't afford to come in and get, and really get beat. I mean, he really shouldn't even look, he really can't afford to look bad, but he especially can't afford to get beat with all of the coverage from the drug trial and all the controversy that's coming up with how he got how he got time off, he's he's still not a Conor McGregor star, but he's still one of the more familiar names in mixed martial arts. So he needs to maximize this fame or infamy, whatever you want to call it, in a loss right now doesn't help anything. I mean, this story is going to carry on for the next six months. It might carry off into the next year. He just needs to make sure that whenever he comes in, he's 100% prepared to compete because everybody at the top of the heap is going to be gunning for him. He's the money fight in the light, light heavyweight division. It's not even Cormier. John Jones is the money fight in the light heavyweight. He's the one who's got, who's got a name value. He's the one who has 
cachet. He's one that even casual. No, mostly for not what he did outside the cage, not even what he did in the cage. So he, he's got to be ready for when. Basically, I think it's going to happen in 2019. I think the UFC is going to try and press him in 2018, but I don't know what his training has been like. And if it hasn't been on point, I wouldn't suggest he rush into anything. So it's funny, you know, immediately he comes back and you see uh, Alexander Gustafsson calling him out, saying that he wants a big fight, um, that they could fight for UFC two. 30. It's funny because Gustafsson was just hurt when other guys were looking for fights. He, he, he was too hurt to fight them, but now all of a sudden he's healthy enough to fight Jones. You know, it's pretty uh, pretty much a selective memory there, but that's either here nor there. Who would you want to see John Jones fight in his first UFC, bat, UFC fight back, regardless of where it is? What, what, or excuse me, regardless of when it is, who would you want to see him fight um, in his return bout? Um, I don't really know. I mean, the only the only real people who you could really see giving him a good go or have a history would be the guys who have history with him. Gustafsson, I think even now would still be a tough matchup. Cormier is always a good fight. And there's a the buildup. I don't think the Cormier fight is feasible. Cormier isn't giving up the Brock Lesnar money. So I would assume Gustafsson would be the biggest fight for him. It has a history. The guy's well-known, and he can make a big payday, and it's a guy he's beaten before. Some of these younger guys, I think he has a good chance to get them too, but they don't have any cachet. There's no history. There's nothing to build a fight around other than himself. And, and I think he's definitely in this for big paydays. They're going to force up, force bigger opportunities moving forward. So uh, I would think Gustafsson's got the head, got the got his leader in the house. I can't imagine him saying, I'm going to go after Anthony Smith or Volkan Ozdemir. I mean, no offense to either one of those guys, but they don't generate any interest for John Joe. I, I understand why they won the fight. I have no idea what John Joe's. Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit there, but um, I agree with you. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that fight with um, Gustafsson being the first fight that they make. I don't think it's a bad idea, too bad of an idea. But you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens in uh, the future. I think that he is, well, like you said, can I ask you, Rafael? Go ahead. Like, okay, now I know you feel kind of hesitant about the Gustafsson fight, but it, as a from let, let's look at it from a business perspective. Who else can you put John Jones in other than Cormier where you have something you can build a story around? Like you can really put pay-per-views around and really kind of develop a story and, and give the fans an idea that they're going to have a top-notch world-class light heavyweight fight. At, well, see, you said, a key, you said a key statement there, light heavyweight. I mean, only other fight I can think of, what do they talk Anthony Johnson out of retirement and have him come back? Um, do they do... You know, if Luke Rockhold is serious about moving up to 205, do they make that fight? Um, I'm just really throwing shit out there, man. I can't think of anyone else other than Gustafsson. What, who yeah. else do they, who else do they put there? Yeah, I mean, even if you go to heavyweight, I mean, with heavyweight is a big enough. I mean, if you fought Stipe, there could be some cachet with that. Stipe or Cormier, Stipe is not a guy who really sells pay-per-views. It, it would all be based on John Jones. So, I mean, you need something that's going to generate some interest that, that has something that the fans could get hooked onto. And I don't know what other fighter generates that outside of Cormier or Gustafsson. Gustafsson's been talking about Jones for the last six years, for God's sake. So, I mean, at least he's, 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 done, he's done that groundwork. I mean, like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of it either, but if we're looking at it from a business perspective, I don't, I don't see who else you put him in with. I mean, it makes sense. So, see... You know, we're talking about things that we're not the biggest fan of. And to be honest, the, the three main news topics, I'm not a fan of any of them. Because today was the presser for UFC 229, where Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov were presented to the crowd to help, um, to help promote for their October 6th fight coming up in a few weeks. And I say presented to the crowd in air quotes because there wasn't a crowd. This... Um, press conference was for media only uh the fans were outside they were not able to watch at one point in time 345,000 people were on youtube watching the stream um i watched it via the fight pass app did you watch it today Sean? uh yeah i was clicking it i was clicking on the youtube stream and what were your initial thoughts on what we all witnessed well my initial thoughts was the UFC kind of, it's like they, they sabotage themselves. 
Connor is a he, he's a showman. He puts on the best shows and has the best comments and best presence when there's a crowd for him to feed off of. So you essentially took fifty percent of of what makes him Connor McGregor away. Like we got more of a a muted Connor McGregor, like the guy he's around his friends. We didn't get the the real show because you didn't have a real crowd out there. So they kind of sabotage themselves. That that um that press conference could have been so much more intense. Could have so much more palpable tension. And I think Khabib's reactions would have been different had he had a crowd over there kind of egging him on or maybe responding to what Connor did. I, I like the idea because it makes it seem more professional and you can have the journalists ask direct questions and you can kind of have it a little bit cleaner. It didn't get out of hand. But the hints of things getting out of hand is what draws people in. And without the crowd there to keep pumping Connor up, he was only going to go so far and say so much. So I think they kind of did themselves a disservice. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, it was pretty interesting to me. I was watching it um, while I was in the gym, you know, in between sets and while I was on the way to the other gym to go teach. Never rested. Never, Never rested. Rested. Nope. I was going from one gym to the other. My man, after working a nine-hour day, you know, it is what it is. And then, um, But it felt flat to me. Um, the Probably the biggest moment to me that I laughed out loud about was when Connor started taking shots at Ali Adelaziz yelling at him for um, his son that he's supposedly not taking care of, one of his two sons that he's not paying child support on, but that's neither here nor there. You can go check out Mike Russell's uh, Mike Russell MMA on Twitter to get that full story. But that was probably the biggest moment to me. Everything else was just like I, him yelling and screaming over Khabib anytime he talked, him talking, um, saying the – Muslim greetings uh, was was a little bit off-putting to me. Doing as a like, maybe it's just me, but this like that chicanery never really hyped me up for any fights. So seeing it here wasn't really my thing. Uh, it doesn't make me any more excited to see the fight. They got my attention. Um, if I wasn't working the event, I would pay my money to see it. So that's neither here nor there. But did this press conference make you any more or less interested in the fight? The funny thing is the fight in and of itself with the buildup and all the drama before this press conference pretty much has sold itself. Like They had to have gotten a million and a half buys just off the fact that this fight between two guys who actually almost physically got in a street fight was enough to get over a million buys. The press conference, I feel, didn't do as much as it could have simply because one of the biggest things there is there's a big crowd, there's a lot of entourages, you never know what's going to happen. That's kind of what gives it the edge. And when you have that kind of edge, that's what Conor McGregor feeds off of. I mean, I know you saw the uh, back when he fought Nate for the second time, the TMZ behind the, behind the scenes camera with him talking stuff to Jake Shields, Nick Diaz saying, if he touches you, we're going to go get him. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that really pushes the buys over the edge because you're like, these dudes really hate each other. This could really get out of hand if things go sideways. But I understand the UFC trying to limit things because you just had these guys, you, you're having Connor get sued and you had a, all sorts of things and fights getting canceled because these two dudes were so intent on getting at each other. The biggest thing I notice is as much as people hate Connor and how he talks and the things he says and how tacky he is and how classless he can be, it just shows me once again, the majority of these fighters on the UFC's roster do not know how to sell a fight. I mean, this was a chance for... For Khabib to kind of put his name out there, show he be clever, say his things, he had nothing. Connor had to carry the whole show with somebody who was giving him no material to work with. That's why. That's why. That's why Floyd Mayweather used to pick certain people carefully when he when he picks his fights. Not just who's a good fight, but who can draw attention. Who, if he gives him some material, can take it to the next level. Khabib was giving Connor nothing, and while that makes him look tough and it makes him look cool. It is hard to it is hard to work a, a stick a stick around that. It is hard to sell pay per views around that, and it's just another example why the UFC is so beholden to Connor. The rest of these guys have all this stuff to say in interviews. They have all this stuff to say on Twitter, and then they have the cameras on and the lights on with the chance where they can make themselves a star without throwing a punch. And they got nothing to say. They got less than nothing to say. I mean, people more like you said, more people are talking about how Connor went after Ali than anything Connor said to Khabib. And Khabib's the guy who's the champion. He Khabib's the guy who's fighting defending the title. And we're talking more about what he said about his manager. What does that tell you about Khabib and his willingness to embrace being a star and willingness to take that next step forward in his career? 
See, I don't, I'm not going to say it's not about his willingness to be a star. I mean, he goes out there and he does what he needs to do. He beats the brakes off of people every time he steps into the cage. Um, and he does it in his own way. But we know now that that's not enough to become a major star. It's but- never been enough. Never. No sport has that ever been enough. Just doing your job and going away. That has never been enough. I don't know where this theory came up where you can be a star by just doing your job. That has, ne- that has never been the recipe in any sport. Hey, uh, Manning was in a big... I'd, I'd, argue, I'd, I'd argue there. There are plenty of examples where that's not the case in other sports. Combat sports, that's one thing. In other sports, I'll throw out Derek Jeter, Tom Brady, um, name, I mean, Tim Duncan. I, name I kind team. of... I kind of would accept Tom Brady, except he kind of, by marrying into this family and showing up at all these, constantly in all these political things and circles and playing golf with Donald Trump, he's always in some kind of media. Maybe it's not a commercial, but he's always put himself in some other kind of media. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying Khabib has to go outside his character. If that's who he is, that's fine. When these guys start complaining about the UFC bending over for Connor or giving him big paydays, you have to understand why they do that. Because he brings in, nobody... Nobody comes in to see a, a press conference with Khabib. Nobody cares. Except they think that he might try and fight Connor. People will sit there and have Connor talk for 10 minutes straight about his suit and his whiskey, and hundreds of thousands of people will tune in to watch that. And, Nobody- and I agree with you there. Um, there is a certain level of self promotion that fighters need to take when putting themselves in a position. And there. And this is actually going to kind of help us um, when we talk about our third topic today. But there's also something to say about how the UFC helps and supports those some how they how they support some fighters above others. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about Valentina versus Joanna uh, for the flyweight title. So, but I do agree with you. Yes, there is some there is there is a lot of work that fighters need to do. Tyron Woodley, yeah. he does a lot of work on his own to promote himself over and over and over and over and over again. Did you, did you see the last countdown? The last countdown with Tyron Woodley? No, I did not. Well, if you notice, see people people don't pay attention. They think the Tyron doing the movie. The movies are great. So people are kind of familiar with him. But Tyron, he started channeling He started channeling Floyd Mayweather. He's he's working on his boxing, and then he starts going to the list. I beat this guy. I beat this guy. They said I couldn't beat this guy. I beat this guy. They said I couldn't beat this guy. I knocked this guy out and went around. He started doing the Floyd Mayweather where I start listing my accomplishments and talking about myself in the third person and how it's all – everybody's against me, but I keep knocking anybody out, whoever they put put against me. That's what you have to do. He understands that now, and he's starting to make that adjustment. Before it was he didn't deserve a fight. I want a money fight. Now he's talking about people ducking him. Now he's saying, I'll fight whoever. Now he's, uh, I'll knock them down one by one until they're forced to fight me. He wasn't saying that before. Before he's like, well, why won't they let me fight them? It's unfair. It's unfair. Now he changes tone. He changes focus. And as he changes tone and he changes focus, I guarantee you he's going to start getting more run. I'm not saying everybody can be a superstar, but there's things you can do or things you have to do to put yourself in a better situation. And sitting there talking about how unfair it is ain't going to get it. It's not going to get it, period. You have to do something that gets a reaction. And until you do, you are not going to get any opportunities. Remember, Chael Son has never been a champion. He was a middle, he was the average middle-of-the-road middleweight who talked his way into title fights and into being one of the biggest stars in mixed martial arts without winning a title in any major organization. That tells you, you it can be done. Let me ask you um, a, a different question as we talk about uh, UFC 229 in the press conference. Do you think that they should have had the entire card up there for the uh, press conference, would that have benefited everybody and this fight as a whole? Because uh, to be honest, man, I had man. There's a lot of fights on this card that I had completely forgot about. I mean, I, I guess it could have helped. It, it could help. The hard thing is, you know, once you get other people around Connor, you know. I mean, I don't know him personally, but you know what happens when he gets around other people, even remotely in his weight class, or people. People start. Everybody starts talking about him. Even if they're not having a fight with him, they start talking about him, which means he starts talking about them, which builds his brand up. But once again, makes all the fighters talking about him look smaller and makes the guy he's fighting look even smaller. I mean, once you get Conor around a bunch of fighters, you know he's going to start putting on the show. So in that instance, it would have helped. But as far as helping get those fighters some rub and some burn, I think it would have the opposite effect. You just hear about what, what Conor said to this guy. Nobody's talking about the guy himself. It's talking about what Conor said about it. That's Jeremy Stevens. They man. still have that meeting. because, like, because to be honest, yo, I've completely forgot about this entire 
fight card because we could have had we could have had i mean and maybe they'll they'll do another one between now and october 6th i mean they only got a couple weeks but tony ferguson anthony pettis that there could have been some dynamic play in there um you could have had michelle watterson and uh fleece herrick on stage with them sean o'malley up there um sergio pettis aspen lad and tanya evinger they could have had a good number of people on the stage um, who could have, it could have been some pretty interesting uh, conversations well, back and forth. Let me ask you a question. It's good. It's smart. These people are smart. They're obviously educated. They've been experienced, all that stuff, right? Which one of those people are entertaining interviews? Tanya Virginia is an interesting person, but she doesn't have a quick one-liner. She doesn't know how to get the crowd on her side. She That's not her thing. Michelle Waterston is very well-spoken. She's intelligent. She knows how to come across on TV, but she's not the kind of person who can hype up a fight. She can't hype up a fight either. Tony Ferguson. Uh... I think Michelle, Michelle and, and Fleece would have been able to play off of each other. Tony Ferguson. I think Tony Ferguson can hype up a fight as well too. So can Anthony Pettis. I think out of like those four are the only ones that I don't know too much about Dominic Reyes, but those four right there pretty much stand out to me. I, I'd have to see it. I don't believe it. I mean, Michelle Watterson isn't going to – she's only going to say so much. Yeah, I'll beat her. We'll find out on this night. That's right up there with Stipe's and still. It's it's cool. It get, I guess it's funny the first time. I just can't see them – I can't see them be, being anything other than overshadowed by, by Connor. When you p- start putting other fighters around them, you start realizing how far other people are behind the game in promotion, in self-promotion, and in branding. They're like – he's like light years ahead of anybody. I mean, f- f- at least – Fleece Herrick was on the quietest four-fight win streak in the history of mixed martial arts. Nobody was even talking about her. She couldn't even get her any pub herself. She didn't get any attention until she lost to Carolina. I mean, like, how are you on a four-fight win streak, and the only attention you get is for complaining that you're not the pretty girl anymore? Hey. You, you didn't have any. <laughs> I mean, she, she she proved herself that she wasn't wrong. She, I mean, she, she did, but she 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 wasn't able to. She wasn't able to generate any like on that four or five win streak. Even with that little burst she had, she wasn't able to to, to turn any momentum and get more fans on her side and kind of force the UFC's hand. Because if she could have, she'd be getting multiple opportunities still. Like Mike Perry entertains people outside of the cage, inside of the cage. So they keep throwing big opportunities at him. They keep giving him names. Police Harry has never been able to do that. I'm not disagreeing with you there, man. Not 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 at all. Um, I want to lead into our third topic, which is about Valentina Shevchenko and uh, Joanna Janjacek being booked for UFC 231 for the Vanket Women's Flyweight title. Yeah, um, I feel like we've talked about this. We've gone back and forth about this. Um, I believe we've been pretty much open about how we stand about it. But let's just say it again. I'm going to let you go first, Swan. What are your it, thoughts about this fight? Is this the fight to make at 125 pounds right now? No. I understand why they're doing it because Joanna has a little bit of a fan base. Joanna knows how to sell. She plays a little thing. He, she plays the mind games. She's a former champion. I get why they're doing it. But it, it, the fight makes no sense. Neither one of them has done anything to earn a title shot. Valentina beat the worst fighter in division, and she dominated her. Big deal. You beat the worst fighter in the division, and now you were getting a title shot that you didn't deserve. Joanna has not even fought in the weight class. There are girls who have fought two and three times in the weight class who aren't anywhere near a title shot. But one girl who's fought once against the worst girl and one girl who hasn't fought at all are getting getting ready to fight for the title. They didn't even consider any of the other flyweights, most of which who are getting ready for fights themselves. They could have got Eubanks. They could have got Jessica I. They could have got Caitlin Jukagan. They could have got Liz Carmouche. Hell, they could have got Roxanne Modafari and Sajara Eubanks. They were the one challenge for the belt already, and one was supposed to challenge for the belt. That would make some kind of logical sense. It's like they're they're skirting all the rules, and this is why people think mixed martial arts is a joke. You can't do this in any other sport. You can't do this, I mean, like, traditional sport. You can't do this in baseball. You can't do this in basketball. You can't do this in football. You have to beat who's in front of you and earn your spot. It seems like the UFC is just throwing title shots around, and the thing about it is neither one of these girls are huge draws. Neither one of these girls sells 500000 on their own, so it makes no sense to me why you're putting them in the fight. They're not huge fan bases. Both of them are one loss, are one loss, one win away from title losses, decisive title losses. Neither one of them has proved anything in the division that they're currently challenging for a title for. 
it's like it's a slap in the face to the entire division and it just smacks of unprofessionalism. It's essentially like the Dallas Cowboys being in a Super Bowl because they're the most popular team in America. What sense does that make? You can't just do that. Now, I was having a conversation actually on my way home to take the show, and it seems like everyone kind of agrees with the person I was debating with on Twitter. But the idea is that what a fighter does in another weight class translates over to the new weight class that they're going to. So, so essentially, basically what they were saying is that Joanna's wins at 115 over overrules anything that anyone else has done at 125. And goes close fights against Amanda Nunez and her wins over Holly Holm um, overrules anything that anyone has done at 125. And she also has a win over 125 at, or at 125. Um, Let me ask I you a question. That, and, I, and, I, and I think because they, they tried to use the example of Frankie Edgar getting his first title shot against Jose Aldo. But he got that shot because he, he filled in for someone else who got hurt. Um, although I think it's supposed to fight Dennis Bermudez and um, got someone got injured and he stepped in. Frankie Edgar stepped in for that person on short notice. But yeah, and then but he, got re, re, but the thing is, I, he was but, fighting against the defending champion in that weight class. They stripped the re, they stripped the champion, and now there's two people who 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 weren't in contention fighting for the belt. You can at least legitimize the fact that he's fighting Jose Aldo, and no matter what you think about Nico Montano, she was the champion. You could justify, you could you could spin it some way and say Valentina or Joanna should fight her, but how are you going to justify two women fighting for it who done nothing to rise that high in the rankings? One woman hasn't even competed in the weight class, and she's one and one and two in her last three fights. Valentina in bantamweight is one and two in her last three fights. Even with the fight in flyweight, she's only five hundred in her last four. How does that justify a title fight? She's not even on a win streak. Neither one of them's on a win streak. Joanna's last 125, uh, her last fight at 125 came right before her UFC debut. And it's interesting because people are trying to frame this as, you know, they have a rivalry or something like that. They fought as amateurs in kickboxing, and Shevchenko pretty much dominated her three times in a row. So what's going to occur? I, I believe this is a fight for Shevchenko to win. This is her fight to win. Um, but what I see here is because, like, if you look at it, you know, Joanna struggled with Rose's striking. Rose went to Shevchenko to prepare her striking for Joanna. So I don't know how we're going to expect Joanna to be able to outstrike um, Shevchenko. But this is, to me, this is an example of them doing what they need to do to get a title on Shevchenko because they've been trying to do that since day one. Well, I, I, in theory, this is a bad matchup because Joanna is a volume striker. Valentina is a counter striker. Until you remember that Valentina isn't a volume counter striker. She's not an aggressive counter striker. She's like a sniper. She wants a perfect shot. She doesn't put together three, fours, and fives. She puts together ones and twos. That's why she loses. That's why all her fights are so close. That's why she loses fights in big spots because she won't do enough work on the counter to score points because she's afraid of, of eating a counter or getting getting caught clean with the lead. So she'll only do so much work. I'm not a professional fighter, but when I spar people, that's what I do. I have a low output because the lower my output is, the less chance you have to counter it or figure things out. And I can figure you out because you're throwing stuff coming at me. I can just time you and pick you off with a one-two and get out of there. But again, in a, in a pro fight, that's not going to be enough unless you have devastating power, which Valentina doesn't, or unless you're fighting somebody who's giving you clear openings where those shots are clearly... The, the determining factor in a round, which once again, Valentina doesn't against the better athlete, better athletes, better fighters. So this fight in theory is a slam dunk for her. But if Joanna shows any sort of poise and discipline and gets on her toes and boxes her, this could a be a boring fight and B be a fight that once again, Valentina does not do enough work in to win. So then she'd be once again, Oh, and two is in, in two divisions for a title fight. There's a lot of pressure on her to win this fight. UFC doing everything except putting the belt around her and calling her the champion. But still, she's getting another shot. She loses this fight. It's a bad look for her. It's a bad look for the UFC. So I hope she's prepared. I hope she's really serious because not only is this fight a sham, but if she loses, she gets exposed as kind of a sham. It's going to be hard to justify this if she loses. If she wins, we can go from there. But if she loses, it's a real bad look. It is a really bad look. It makes her look like a coward for picking on Paige Van Zandt makes her look like a coward for picking on Nico Montano because the first when she did 
it makes it seem like she doesn't want to fight a legitimate fighter. And if she loses to a legitimate fighter for the title, it makes her look that much worse. And I don't, I'm not saying Nico isn't legitimate, but a lot of people think she isn't. So Valentina can't afford to lose this fight, but there's still a 50% chance that she will. She just doesn't have that dog in her. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very um, intriguing fight. I'm not. I'm going to watch it just because I, I like. I enjoy women's MMA. I enjoy MMA as a whole. Um, but I don't think that this is the right fight to make at the at this time. Maybe in the future after they both gotten some. But I think it 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 shows what the UFC thinks of the rest of the 125 roster. Yeah. And it's it's just not it's just not going to go over well. I hope I hope these girls take this into consideration when they're when the renegotiation renegotiating their contracts. When people are saying, "Hey, can you take this short notice fight, or can you risk your ranking to fight this nobody?" I hope they remember this when it comes time because the UFC just told you you're not you're not even a factor. You got oh, Caitlin Chukagan, you got two wins. Roxanne Montefiore, you were already ranked in the top five in the world. So Jar Eubanks, you were promised a fight. Just guy, you had two wins. Liz Carmouche, you beat one of the best flyweights in the world you don't get a title fight. You can wait. You can go and slaughter each other, and whoever survives gets to face the winner of Joanna Valentina. Make sure you remember this when your management is negotiating your next contract or when you're deciding what fight to take and what fight not to take. Stop doing billionaires' favors. They don't care about you. And if you haven't realized this by now, if this isn't the wake-up call to y'all, then then just go ahead and get your brains beat out because the UFC has bamboozled you, brainwashed you, and is going to ruin you. This is a business. Start treating it like one. The UFC is. They don't give a damn about your record. They don't give a damn about you putting on a show. They don't give a damn about the risk you are taking. They care about the bottom line. So you need to start caring about the bottom line, too, and stop trying to dance for some billionaire who says, oh, I really respected your fight. If you really respected it, double my damn pay, dude. Give me some health insurance. Yeah, going, hey, they do have health insurance now. but uh, It ain't good enough. It ain't good enough. Swan <laughs> going in tonight, guys. He's going in hardcore, full bore. Uh, like, before we go on, I could never, I could never be, I could never be a journalist. If if MMA Reddings ever sent me to a UFC event, I could never make it out there because Dana White would say something, and I would say something to do, and he would try and slap me, and I'd have to punch him in his face, dude. Like me and him would not get along, and I wouldn't be one of these fans who just, oh, I'm afraid of getting my my UFC card pull. He'd be like, why don't you just shut up? Why don't you shut up, dude? What are you gonna do? Make me? You you did some you you did some amateur boxing, so now you think you're hard, dude. You're almost a fifty year old man. You don't want these problems, Dana. You said you don't want these problems. You don't want. I'll be like, you can get you can get security to escort me out. Just remember, y'all. Remember, Dana says he's tough. I called him out. He got security. He got security to take me outside. He could have come down here and removed me himself. But there's What's a reason why he talks tough. What's interesting is one thing. Going back to the press conference earlier today, I was kind of. You still see that some of the individuals asking questions are fans first and maybe writers or journalists or media members second. Um, and that's still a struggle for UFC as a whole. It was still kind of too chum chummy, at least for my, um, for my <coughs> opinion there. Well, before we go, just to hit on that point, it's something I've noticed. And, and I know for a fact, at least in my experience, when I've dealt with fighters, a lot of people are, they like to deal with people who are fan. Like if you say something on a fighter's behalf, you're a smart fan, you're educated. They want to talk to you. They want to let them guide the narrative and tell the story. But when you say something against them, then they get really defensive. Like, well, you don't know what I do for a living. You don't understand the intricacies of my art. You don't understand that you, you never fought before. You don't know. That's funny. Cause when that fan over there told you, you were the greatest fight ever, you said they know what they're talking about. They, they don't have my resume. So why, why are you listening to them? But you're giving me shit because I'm asking you know, a serious journalistic question or I'm questioning your strategy or I'm questioning your skill set. I'm not saying you're an idiot. I'm not saying you're a terrible fighter. But my job isn't to make friends. My job is to call it down the line and give a solid analysis or give a solid storyline. And it's like they don't they don't want that. They want people who are going to push their narrative and say they're the greatest and they're bigger than soccer. And that's what hurts mixed martial arts because you have these people who can't be impartial. In the NFL, ain't nobody pulling no punches. I mean, they got a certain segment who does. They have a whole nother segment that's willing to go head to head with the, with the coaches, with the players, even guys they're cool with to make sure a legitimate storyline is told and they get their point across. It makes martial arts guys just cut you off. I know for a fact there's been people, people I wanted on the show who were cool with it until they read an analysis I made. But I'm not going to lie to people. You don't like the analysis, but I'm not lying for you. I said your defense sucks. It does suck. doesn't mean I don't like you as a fighter, but your defense needs work. How do you know? How do you know what I need to work on? People call me for this. You're the number 12th ranked fighter in your division. 
the number four ranked fighter came to me for my my perspective on how to beat you. That's how I know. You're I don't yeah, I didn't fight, but you got people who are ranked higher than you, have more success than you, more titles than you, coming to me asking how to whoop your ass, how to whoop the person in your camp's ass. So yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Just because you don't like it don't mean I don't know what I'm talking about. Just because you like what somebody else says doesn't mean they do know what they're talking about. And that sort of unprofessionalism is going to constantly hold mixed martial arts back until they start having a standard and they stop trying to bury stories or brush them away or or, or bully guys with accent. That, that the, the art can the sport can only get so big. You're right about that, man. Um, so I want we don't have a whole lot to talk about on the fights schedule for this weekend. There's two events: UFC Terrible. Fight Night 137 and or uh, Bellator 205. I just want to kind of there's three fights that kind of jumped off off the page on all on both cards to me. First off is um, you got Eric Anders stepping in last minute to face Thiago Santos uh, at 205. Uh, what a, what do you think about this? In my opinion, if I was at Anders camp, I wouldn't have allowed him to take this fight. <coughs> He's taking it on six days notice and moving up to light heavyweight for this bout. What are your thoughts about it? I'm assuming they're just thinking that he's such a better athlete, better class of athlete. And they see that Santos is kind of vulnerable outside of his offensive bursts. They're feeling they have a clear path to get success if they can j- just navigate those big bursts of offense. That's the only thing I can think of. And um, it's a dangerous fight because Santos is capable of putting your lights out. But Santos tends to be fairly one-dimensional, and he tends to be a guy who fights in spots. So I could see why they would take that fight. There's a high risk, but if you can just navigate the three or four big spots of offense, essentially you can dominate him. Um, I'm thinking that maybe Anders is just trying to get in the UFC's favor and maybe make himself a viable threat in two divisions because you know it doesn't take very many wins in, in light heavyweight to be considered a title contender. Maybe he's he's trying his hand to see if I can get a win here, maybe put another win here. I could be a potential light heavyweight title contender, and if things don't work out, I still have the option to go back to middleweight. I'm assuming this is part of the larger plan, or maybe he's having an issue making weight, and he just wants to try to check it out and see how his strength and his explosiveness is up against bigger, stronger guy. And it's a guy who was vulnerable enough that he shouldn't have to pay too high a price if he fights a smart fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm really just tr- intrigued to seeing how this fight turns out, especially for Anders. I think he was someone that they wanted to kind of build into a high contender, but that Leona Machida fight kind of stifled him a little bit. But he he struggled through his last fight, but came out with a win at, at the last moment in the way that he needed to. Um, with the big head kick KO there. So I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing if this fight kind of slows him down uh, a little bit because I don't, well, you, I don't think you saw that this move did for Anthony Smith. Huh? You, saw what a different, you saw what a different Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith was a middle-row middleweight. Now he's like two fights away from a possible title fight. He's getting big names just because he moved up a, a weight division and, and was healthy and available to take fights. And now people are talking about he's one of the hottest lightweight, light heavyweights in the world. But in middleweight, he was just another guy. So maybe Anders is thinking, I can do what Anthony Smith did. I'm a better athlete. Yeah, definitely there. Um, so the other two fights that jumped out to me was, um, first off, John Salter versus Rafael Lovato Jr. I mean, this is big just for the grappling stance for me because I think that this is going to be a crazy fight. Um, John Salter is a wrestler's wrestler, but of a different style. I love his... Um, I love his MMA, uh, the way he's transitioned his wrestling into MMA. So I think it's going to be a pretty intriguing fight. What are your thoughts about this bout? Um, it's interesting because of Salter's kind of, he's not the typical just lay and pray or work for control type wrestler. A lot of guys just give out on that initial shot. He likes to chain things together. He likes to keep a high pace. He likes to be very mobile. And you wonder if Lovato Jr. is going to be able to control him in the guard or, or get control of him long enough to, to put submissions together because one of his strengths is he can change submission attempts together. But that's usually with guys who are sitting in his guard or guys who are trying to control him. Against a guy who's willing to scramble with him actively, it might be a little bit harder to get those submissions or to, or, or to control him so he's not getting grounded and pounded. So from a strategical point of view, it's very interesting. Um, Lovato Jr. is essentially being set up as the next title contender, it seems, in middleweight. He's he's beat everybody he's faced. He's done it in in devastating and efficient manner. And I think if he beat, wins this next fight, I don't see how he doesn't challenge the winner of the uh, whoever's the middleweight champion after Rory and um and Musasi fight. Whoever I guess whoever's the middleweight champion will be who he's facing unless Rory drops the title. And then um I guess he'll be facing whoever is the top ranked guy for the for the title the vacant title. But he's positioning himself to be the next title challenger. And um 
I, I really have to. I, I, I want to say I'm going to go with Salt with uh, Lovato. I just think his grappling and his feel and his ability to transition is a little bit too sharp. Uh, normally, I think Salter would give him a, a more a more structured or maybe a more defensively minded grappler some issues because they're afraid to get in those scrambles and they're afraid to really hunt for submissions. I don't think Lovato Jr. is afraid to hunt for those submissions, whether it's from top, bottom, or neutral position, and I think that'll be the difference. There's no place to rest against him. Other other grapplers will sometimes let you rest because they want to secure a position or secure your arm so you can't attack. Some guys are just on the attack constantly, transitioning from one attempt to another, and I think that's the kind of guy Lovato is, and I think that's what's going to end up getting Salter in the end. Yeah, definitely, and I think Lovato's grappling is just it's it's different. It's aggressive in a different stance in that in mixed martial arts, people aren't prepared for that. Um, it's of a higher level. Uh, yes, John Salter is a great wrestler, a great grappler in his own sense, but Lovato's abilities as a world champion grappler is just of a different era, a different, a different ability stance, ability echelon. I, just, I think that that's going to be too much for Salter to be able to deal with. Um, we also have Antonio McKee's son fighting. I can't remember the guy's first name, but his last name is Tashera Day. Uh, I believe is how you pronounce that. Are you familiar with these two men? I'm, I'm familiar with Aaron McKee's son. I'm not too familiar with his opponents, to be honest. Um, I'm thinking this is essentially another, I'm, and I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful with the guy, but it's clear they're grooming McKee to be a future star. And so obviously they're moving him up in levels of opposition and quality of opposition and difficulty and experience but it's still going to be a showcase fight for him. Just like Gallagher lost his fight, but that fight, even though it was a higher class of opponent, it was still a showcase fight for him. That was the fight he was supposed to win against a guy who had enough holes and limitations athletically that he could exploit them. He just fought a dumb fight. McKee's a little bit more disciplined. McKee's a little bit more to the point, and he's got more meat and potatoes. He can be somewhat dynamic and flashy, but when it comes down to it, he's more of a straight business kind of guy. He's not putting on any more of a show necessary and the show doesn't over the show or the or the pizzazz of the fireworks doesn't actually overshadow the work he's going to do and i think that mindset is the difference plus he still has that heavy grappling background that that seems to be his get out of jail free card whenever he's put in any sort of real position of danger definitely there man um I'm looking. I think I, I agree with you that this is kind of like a showcase fight for uh aaron mckee jr um We'll see how it looks, and I mean, I really just don't have too much more from there. It's, there's a lot of MMA going on this weekend. Um, I'm not sure how much I'm going to catch. I'm looking more looking forward to the competitive grappling team event that's going on um, at Fight to Win Pro on Saturday, where we have five teams um, facing off. Man, the quintet card is also cool, but we also have we have uh, I think the team Lloyd Irvin, CSW, Tenth uh, Planet, and one other group has a who's the other team let me see let me look real quick give me a second sean yeah who that fourth team is it's oh, they're doing all this shit right now okay it's um tli csw uh 10th planet and i can't tell who this other team is um somebody else is going to get stomped but it's four <laughs> men and one woman on each team ten thousand dollar grand prize so I'm looking forward to uh, that event on Saturday. But other than that, man, what are you working on this week? Let the world know. Um, I was actually – I did a piece this that came out this week on combatpress.com where it was talking about uh, the secret of her success, the five five or four reasons that Jessica Andrade is actually an elite fighter. I did an article for um, Severe MMA that will come out of probably in a week or so or whatever, and it's about the four reasons – they kind of and it's not actually a lot of people are already talking about the technical breakdown like the left hand the footwork I, I i touch on the technical aspect what i really talk about is how those things affect their fights strategically and how how it affects previous opponents individually we give examples of how one reason that connor is going to be the thing that khabib does that normally is a strength can be exposed by this aspect of conor mcgregor's personality his strategy and his skill set so it's a broader look technically, but it's a more specific look as far as different strategies go. And then for MMA ratings, I'm going to do a breakdown of Elise Herrig v. Michelle Waterston. And I might do an Anthony Pettis Tony Ferguson, depending on either side. Cool, cool. Um, I'm working on, you know, as usual, 
but just sports coverage across the board. NFL, Carolina Panthers, uh, professional wrestling, grappling, and MMA. So feel free to find my content wherever you can. Follow me at rgarcia underscore sports, where I'll be talking about this and politics and anything else. Um, hey, the Cam, Cam was pretty good in the pocket. I think North Turner is really going to work out with Cam. He looked, I never seen him throwing that good in the pocket in years. That dude yeah. looks sharp in the pocket. He looks good. He looks good. I was writing about that actually today. Um, this, this, uh, efficient offense that Turner's putting out there might be the key. Um, if, we'll if you see. have a if you have a quarterback, I don't know how you don't offer your whole house and mortgage, even if he doesn't get a winning record for your team. How do you not let pay North Turner whatever he wants to make it to settle him to a degree, get a contract, and have him make your guy better for a year or two? Because even if he has a drop off, I guarantee you he'll still be twenty five percent ahead of where he would he would have been normally without Norv, Norv or Shanahan. Those guys are great with quarterbacks. You can't. I don't understand how anybody with a high-profile franchise quarterback does not at least make an offer to Noah Turner to try and get, get him to work with him. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as we're sitting here talking about football, the Cleveland Browns got their first win. Uh, got their first win in 636 days today. So, so is, is, is Baker playing? They, they benched Tyrod, right? He had a concussion. Oh wow! Yep, that's it. Tyra, it's yeah. He's Drew like, that's not my bad. Nah, it's Baker's gonna have to be basically hauled off and carted. Yeah, it's done. He got. I hope. I hope he enjoyed the money because that. That's it. He might not be there next year. No offense, to anybody, but seriously, he may not be there next year. Yeah. Um. It's pretty interesting to see. Uh, but. We'll, we'll have to kind of see what we'll kind of have to pay close attention to it. But uh, every, let Schwan know where they. Oh, excuse me, Schwan. Let everyone know where they can find your content. Um, find you on Twitter and let everyone know where they can find our show. Uh, you can find our show on YouTube. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on Apple uh, on iTunes. Um, once again, I, I, and you can find me on at Black Jordan Breen on Twitter. Like I said, anytime you want to talk about fights or get some different perspective on what happens in fight camps, or you want my opinion on a fighter or a fight that's coming up. My, I'm I'm going to be telling you from the perspective of somebody who does this, who, who's been paid money to do this before. So I'm not speaking in a vacuum like some other people who are just like, well, this is what I was saying. Objectively speaking, I'm telling you what an actual fighter is looking for and what a camp and a coach is looking for when I'm breaking these people down. I'm not just speaking in a in a vacuum, trying to sound smart or trying to make it overly technical. I'm, I'm actually telling you discussions I've had about these people. And also, thank you all for paying attention to the show. Um, like I said, the numbers are constantly just creeping up up and up every single week and uh, we're getting some good feedback and like I said if y'all got any criticism or compliments or things you want to hear more of on the show let me or Raphael know we are here for you we're trying to put the best product out on your behalf definitely that man and with all that said and done I'm going to go ahead and sign off man and we will be back next week alright man you try to take it easy I don't even know why I say it at this point I'm just going to say it out of habit <laughs> yep let's, let's, let's do this have a good one alright man